So most of you know that last week I was in St. Bart's visiting my good buddy Hugh Hendry, Brent Johnson, Jeff Snyder. We were all down there. And we were also joined by five or six hedge fund managers. I can't name any names, but I can say that one of them managed over $25 billion. Uh, not retired as of right now, is managing $25 billion with a B dollars. So it was an incredible group of, of people there. And needless to say, I learned a lot. So what I want to do is show just a quick clip from one of the, the discussions we had. And then it's over on Jeff's channel. You can watch the whole thing, or at least the 20-minute clip over there. It was actually part of a three-hour conversation. And then I want to go over some of these things that I learned. Now, I'm going to be going over not just things that I learned, but I'm going to be going over specific trade ideas that we discussed. And we, I'm talking about Jeff, Hugh, Brent, and uh, these, you know, four, five, six other hedge fund managers that are currently managing money right now. And I I'm going to discuss this in great detail, not on this video, but I'm going to do it on a live stream in Rebel Capitalist Pro this Friday at 2 p.m. Eastern. Now, for those of you who are saying, oh, George, I'm not a member of Rebel Capitalist Pro, no problem. You can join for one week for a dollar, and then if you don't like it, you can cancel, but then you can at least participate in this live stream that I'm going to have on Friday. So if you want to participate, you just go to georgegammon.com forward slash pro. You can sign up. Uh, and we'll see you on that live stream. I think Gene is actually uh, putting it up in the forum right now. So if you want to ask some questions that I'll address during that live stream, you can do that as soon as we get done with the video. But let's shoot over to Jeff's channel. I want to go over a clip so you can kind of get an idea of what we were talking about. And then we're going to reconvene on this video. And I'm going to go over some of the things that I actually learned. Here we go. He had been in consultation with Jeff and he, he gave him this high powered money speech, you know, you need to create bank reserves. We were just talking about this this morning. Now, when they voted on quantitative easing in March of 2001, there was one dissenter, a, a gal by the name of Aiko Shizuka, and she said, why are we doing quantitative easing? Why are we doing quantitative anything? Because we don't do quantitative. Ever since Volcker in the 70s, we realized we controlling the level of reserves does nothing. Mm. And the discussion was, and the, the transcripts from the Bank of Japan are not as uh, literal as they are in the Fed. So you have to kind of read between the lines a little bit. But the rest of the discussion was, we don't know what else to do. We're kind of at a crossroads here. So let's try this QE shit. See if it sticks. Yeah. So what we're talking about there specifically is how Japan is on QE, like, what is it, 23, 27 right now? I mean, it's hard to, to keep track. And how... And I brought this up later in the conversation. It's it's very similar to the experience that I had on social media when Russia invaded Ukraine. I'm sure all of you remember that. And I'm sure a lot of you got pushed back from your family members and friends, your family member Fred, if you will. And uh, when they came out with these sanctions, I think the majority of us saw that and said, okay, well, this is not a good idea. Why? Because the costs far outweigh the benefits. The cost to us in Europe is going to be severe. And I think we saw that play out 
in Europe. I don't think that's debatable now, looking back in hindsight. But then we said that the benefit is going to be almost nil. Remember we were talking about that on this channel and the whiteboard videos, how they said, oh, they're going to lock them out of SWIFT. So what? So what? Like they can't communicate somehow through, through the banking system? This is, this is just a nothing burger. And as we saw, did the Russian uh, economy absolutely collapse because we kicked them out of the SWIFT system? No. We did all of these sanctions that hurt the United States, that hurt uh, Europe as far as not being able to get that energy and uh, for a variety of reasons and screwing up global supply chains and whatnot. And what benefit did it have? Almost nothing. But what was the response that you always got from your friend and family member, Fred? Or what I always got on social media? It's, you just had people just you know yelling and pointing their finger, just completely irrational, to say, well, we gotta do something. Well, we gotta do something, George. We, can, we can't just sit back and do nothing. Well, actually, you can sit back and do nothing. If doing something means that you are causing more harm than good, then you do nothing until you can figure out something that actually is going to have a positive effect on net balance, right? But it's the exact same thing that Jeff is talking about here with Japan and quantitative easing. Well, we can't do nothing. We, we, we got to do something. Same thing with the Fed. We can't do nothing. We can't just sit back and let the free market work. We can't just sit back and, and allow for Schumpeter's creative destruction. No, because that would mean that us central planners aren't as smart as we think we are. And that would mean that the free market that's made up of all these individuals, all these average Joes and Janes, are actually better at solving problems than we authoritarians you see, and they're never, ever, ever going to go through that process of cognitive dissonance, right? So then their default is always, well, we, we have to do something because we're so important and therefore we'll do a bailout or we'll do quantitative easing, even if we don't know what it does, or even if the costs far outweigh the benefits, well, we're going to do it anyway. Same line of thinking. And that's exactly what we were talking about during this part of the discussion. Now let's fast forward a little bit here because I want to give you a taste of a whole thing. Regulatory add-ons, which say, we don't want you to do this anyway. You see it really kind of locks down right to the lady in the back. First of all, why are we doing this? Because, you know, it's the only dumb thing. And really, again, it's like we need something. We, we got to, we're at zero interest rates. Everything else is locked down. We got to tell the story. And, you know, Quantum anything sounds kind of as if you're you're really on on your gains. Uh, but I think you want to say quantitative or something. It reminds me of when. Oh, that's when I told the story that I was telling you. What if we then actually begin to start pledging your JGB short-term bills and these these reserves to borrow dollars so that they could then make that kind of credit arbitrage and be the conduit of the missing dollars and funnels the expansion in China. And and so for me, I, and this is these these are just parallel universe. Where everyone sees yield curve control, where everyone sees Japanese interest rates being minus ten or twelve basis points in the Fed, thirty basis points. And they say, well that's why you've had this movement in the currency. For me, it, it coincides that the the, the sell up in the end kind of begins right as part uh, Parlays right into shit, the China property bubble and the emergence of the defaults uh, and the dissent. 
and 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 the change of narrative whereby the your counterpart is starting to say, no, I get a reputation, my ass is on the line here, and maybe I care what it reaches my my risk with you a little bit. Okay, so what Hugh's talking about here is a very important point. And I think we discussed this yesterday when I was talking about how concerned I am with China and with their economic collapse and how that could lead to a GFC 2.0. So what he was talking about initially there when they're trying to take that arbitrage is these are these uh, Japanese banks coming in when China was really expanding all in the, the late 1990s, early 2000s. And China, in order to fund this expansion, they needed dollars. So the Japanese banks came in and said, hey, we'll provide those dollars for you. We're going to charge you a bit of a of a premium here because no one else is one to give them to you because they see all of these risks, you know, but we know you guys pretty well. So we're going to see this as a, a profit opportunity, especially when Japan uh, has rates at 0%. So these banks look around them and say, well, okay, we can lend in the Chinese or excuse me, in the Japanese domestic economy, but we're only going to make, let's say a hundred basis points when we could lend in the Chinese economy and we could lend dollars and wow, this is going to be awesome because we can get 7%, 8%. So they see this as a huge profit opportunity. That's what he was talking about initially. But now he says everything's kind of going in reverse because those same Japanese banks or other banks in the Euro dollar system that funded this expansion in China that gave us the Evergrande, that gave us the country garden and whatnot, and turned their economy into basically a proxy for the real estate market there in, in, in China. All of these banks that funded that and made that possible are now pulling back and saying, whoa, time out here. Because see, all these entities are going back to them because when they borrow money, when they borrow these trillions and trillions of dollars to fund this expansion, it's not like they're borrowing at a 30-year fixed rate mortgage, you see. If you're Evergrande and you're borrowing from XYZ Eurodollar Bank or Japanese Bank, you're not taking out a 30-year loan at a fixed rate. No, 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 no. You're having to roll that debt over, over and over and over again, maybe every, I don't know, two, three years, something like that. So now what he was saying is that these Chinese entities ha are coming up to the time when they've got to roll over this debt. And then these Japanese banks are saying, uh, yeah, we provided these dollars to you for the last 20 years, but now it's different. Now, A, the Fed has jacked rates up to 5.25%. So we can't give you that 1%, 2% that we were giving you before. Now it's got to be at least 6 or 7%. And oh, by the way, we're going to have to tack on a massive premium because basically you're going bust and a premium on top of that because your economy is imploding. And then, oh, by the way, now rates are at 14%. I'm just going through a hypothetical here. So then the Evergrande types look at the Japanese banks and say, well, you might as well not even give me the loan because there's no way I can afford anything over 6 or 7%. So then they don't roll over the debt. Then the whole thing blows up. That's what he was talking about. And that's kind of what we were talking about yesterday when we did that video on China being the catalyst to GFC 2.0 potentially. Hey guys, I want to remind you to check out Rebel Capitalist Pro. This is the incredible online investment forum that I have with investment experts 
Lynn Alden, and Chris McIntosh. It includes professionals such as Patrick Ceresna from Macro Voices. He specializes in options. Tony Greer, commodity trading. Jason Hartman, real estate. And Brent Johnson with Macro Economics. If you want to build wealth and thrive in this world of out-of-control central banks and big governments, Rebel Capitalist Pro is the resource you need. So check it out today at georgegammon.com forward slash pro. That's georgegammon.com forward slash pro. We'll see you inside with the fellow rebel capitalists that are taking their investing to the next level. So I'm not going to play any more of this. I think you guys get the point. I wanted to show you that this was live on Jeff's channel. And so if you want to watch that whole clip, it's about 20 minutes. Again, that's from a three-hour conversation that we had. And as you can tell, uh, with just what Jeff was talking about and uh, and Hugh, it was an incredibly high-level discussion. I mean, it was the most fun I have had potentially in my whole life. But with this discussion, there isn't a lot of actionable advice. That's what Friday is for. Is uh, So what we did there is we met three days in a row. And each day we would talk. And, and what you didn't see were the other people on the other side of the camera. And these are some of these hedge fund managers that I'm, I'm not, I can't name any names, obviously. Uh, but these are guys that manage, like I said, billions and billions and billions of dollars. And so what we did on the first day is we kind of go over all these macro topics in this brainstorming session, three or four hours. We did the same thing the next day. And then the third day, what we did is we went over actual like trade ideas. And that's not my world. You guys know that. But it was absolutely fascinating to watch Hugh and Brent and, you know, Jeff, that's not really his world either. But to watch these guys that had managed billions in the past and and or are managing billion billions of dollars right now and actually go, OK, we get what we what we what you guys have been talking about over the last two days. But now we've got the theme. Now we've got our probabilities. But how do we make money on this? Like, how do we express these traits? How do we express these bets? And we went over that the last day for three or four hours and and. That completely blew my mind. This is what I want to go over on Friday in that live stream in Rebel Capitalist Pro. So head over there. Like I said, if you're not a member, no problem. It's a dollar for heaven's sakes for the first week. And if you don't like the the service, and again, it's a service I have with Lynn Alden and Chris McIntosh and Brent Johnson, by the way, a lot of the people that you guys uh, follow, I'm sure, on social media. But uh, if you don't like the service, you can just cancel it. It costs you a buck, and you can attend that live stream that we're going to have this Friday. But I'll give you some insights as to one of the light bulb moments that I, I had throughout the entire three or four days, but especially that third day after we had discussed all of our macro ideas, and then they were discussing, okay, how do we make money from this right now? Now, so on this channel, and this is kind of my style. You guys, I'm sure know this from watching my videos for so long now that I don't really get caught up in making, you know, how do I make money the next three months? How do I make money the next six months? I have a very, very long-term view and my number one priority is just don't lose money. And then once I, I get past that 
kind of hurdle. Then I'm like, okay, how do I just, over the next 10 years, if I can just make 10, 12, 15%, I'm totally happy with that. I mean, even in 10%, that would be fine with me. So I look for these really super long-term trends. And we talk about that on this channel all the time with the commodity super cycle. In fact, the next video today, we're going to talk about that. And then I wait for, just like Jim Rogers, so I try to be like Jim Rogers. You guys know he's my favorite. And I just wait for panic, hysteria, or I wait for things to be cheap. And then when they're expensive, I sell. The problem with that is a guy that manages $25 billion, they can't take that approach. Now, if it's their own money, they can, but not for someone who's being paid two and 20, meaning 2% for the, whatever they call it, the management fee, and then 20% of the profits, because no one's going to put their money with you if you just do something once every three years, like George Gammon does for his own portfolio. You see, those people are expecting you to beat the market, not just every single year, every single month, right? So what I noticed in, in talking to these guys, and especially Hugh, you know, what I've known Hugh for quite some time. Most of you know that I spent two or three months in St. Bart's in 2020 trying to escape the hysteria of the cerveza sickness. So Hugh and I uh, really got to know each other well. And there, there, occasionally, although we had a similar worldview, there would be disconnects in the way we saw the Fed and, and the, you know, the economy and certain things like that. But after talking to him now in this setting, it all makes sense. Because what Hugh does, and he's still in this mindset, although he's retired, you know, you, you can take the, the hedge fund manager out of the hedge fund, <laughs> if that's a saying, but you can't take that thought process out of his head. He still sees the world of macro as how can I make money on this right now? I don't care about five years from now. I don't care about three months, or excuse me, Three years from now, I care about this month. How am I going to make money? How am I going to increase my PL for this month, over the next week, over the next four weeks? Because nothing else matters to me. Zero. So when you have that mindset, you, it, it completely changes your worldview, right? And you guys know that I always say I, I never try to predict the price of anything. Like is the price of the real estate market going up or down? You know, thought experiments, but I never try to predict. The only thing that I think I can predict is if something is cheap or expensive. That's it. But the hedge fund guys don't have that luxury. So they have to sit there and say, okay, what's my global macro view? What are the probabilities? And then how do I express that bet? How do I express that view with the least downside and the maximum upside. In other words, with the best risk-reward profile. And how do I do that in order to make money right now, immediately? And so when I started to have, uh, when I was started to be involved in very, very high-level discussions like that, it was a total game-changer, complete game-changer. Now, I'm not saying that I'm going to change my investment strategy, uh, but it really opened my eyes up to how that world really works. You know, how do these Stanley Druckenmiller types, how do they make billions and billions and billions of dollars year after year after year? What's their process, right? And what can I learn from that, that even if I don't adopt the entire framework, or if even if I don't adopt their process, you know, how can I make my 
how can I use that to give myself a greater edge based on the priorities that I do have for my own portfolio? You see, that's what I was really trying to think through. That was the light bulb moment. And that's really what I want to discuss more in depth uh, this Friday in that live stream with Rebel Capital's pros. So uh, guys, definitely check out that video on Jeff's YouTube channel, Eurodollar University. I think you'll really get a kick out of it. And if you want to get down into the nitty gritty with me on uh, Friday as to what we went over in St. Bart's, all the light, all the things that I learned, but maybe more so me doing a deep dive on their specific process, their meaning these hedge fund managers that have to make money every single week and every single month, going over in detail how they think through that and how they structure those trades to have the maximum risk reward. All right, guys, enjoy the rest of your afternoon. As always, make sure that you're standing up for freedom, liberty, free market capitalism. We'll see you in the next video.